All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck sticks? I don't know if that's a nice one, but haven't said it in a while. How are you? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. I'm okay. Thanks for asking. Things are okay. Howie Mandel's on the show today. I, I've Howie Mandel is a comedian. He's also a host of uh, the Deal or No Deal business, but he was a big comic uh, back in the day. And uh, it's one of those stories, man. I mean, he was huge. He was huge in the 80s. He had a gimmick. He had a hook. He was a thing. And then, like, the other thing that's interesting about Howie that I don't know that, well, it, you know, if this is interesting to you, is that he was really one of the first modern comics to sort of you know, make the transition onto a television show as a dramatic actor, for the most part, and pull it off. He was on St. Elsewhere for years. And I remember at the time thinking, like, usually when you see a comic do dramatic shit on television, certainly back in the day, things have gotten better. Some of us have have gotten better at it. But, you, you know, you kind of saw the self-consciousness. You had funny expectations. Like, when's a guy going to be funny? Isn't he usually funny? You know, I don't believe this. I don't believe he's pulling this off. But how he pulled it off. And then apparently, like, I didn't really put this together until I talked to him that, that you know, there was some, uh, you know, he was kind of washed up a bit. And uh, there was uh, something, a change happened, and now he's uh, he's the deal or no deal guy. But his comedy career is going and well, and he's uh, he's now he's an entrepreneur in a way. He's he's a partner in owning the Montreal Comedy Festival now. But nonetheless, it's been a long time coming, and Howie Mandel is here. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. What else is happening? I'll be at. Uh, Starting a run. I'm not sure exactly what the dates are for the full run, but I will be at the Dynasty Typewriter space here in Los Angeles on the 20th of January. Um, and then you can go to WTFpod.com slash tour for those dates. I'll be March 23rd in, uh, at the Wheeler Opera House in Aspen and March 24th at the Boulder Theater in Boulder, Colorado and Dynasty Typewriter here in Los Angeles on January 20th. That's happening. Going to make some vinyl available on the uh, website soon in the merch area. Some uh, signed to real albums. Also, again, my friend Sam Lipsight's amazing novel, Hark, is out. And I know some of you are like, hey, what do you keep pushing your friend for? Well, he happens to be a genius, and there's a lot of unsung geniuses in the world. He gets a lot of attention, but I'd like to sell, him some, I'd like to sell some books for, uh, for Sammy because he's so fucking good. You can go to harkthebook.com and pre-order your book. I got him. Is it, uh, I think it's, uh, let's talk about uh, my genius friend's day. Sarah the Painter, uh, my girlfriend, just had an opening here in Los Angeles that went spectacularly well. If you are in Los Angeles and you'd like to see her work, uh, she did. These are, I, I swear to God, between us, uh, the best paintings uh, she's done. Certainly. Well, I, I mean, there. look, this. OK, I have to navigate this properly in case she listens but uh, she's always done good paintings, but for some reason, this batch that she's been working on the last year or so just seemed very complete and beautiful, and her vision seemed tight, and uh, they're big, and it's really some show. It's at the Honor Fraser Gallery here in Los Angeles. It's uh, going into March, and she painted the floor of the place, which is a whole other painting in and of itself. And she did a stained glass piece in one room. So, yeah, so that, you know, we went to the art opening thing where I feel like... Uh, 
I feel like it's it's uh, it's it's a whole different world, and not many people know me in it. So I just kind of lounge around, and I invite a few friends. Uh, Dave Anthony uh, came, and uh, Armisen was there, and a couple of the Glow gals came, and uh, Alex Karpowski just showed up because he happened to be a fan of her paintings, and I didn't even invite him. But uh, so I, I kind of socialize with the people I invite: Al Madrigal and his wife, Steve Brill and his wife. And uh, then all the art people come and she does her business and I show my friends around like some weird, uh, (laughs) like I had something to do with it. It was a nice evening, nice paintings. So if if you like the abstract art and you want to see Sarah's work, that's at the Honor Fraser Gallery here in Los Angeles in the Culver City area. Okay, there you go. I have a a, a sort of a pitch for the uh, border negotiations. I've been doing some thinking on it, but I, I have an idea. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. I got to get some work done on the house. I got to, this is just, I guess, being a grown up. And like, I, and some of you, you have kids. I don't even know how you have kids. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly worried about the kids I don't even have. I'm worried about the kids I might have had. I'm worried about, you know, how they're going to turn out and, and whether they're going and where are they? Where are they? Why haven't they called? God damn it. Are they going to get into that school? God damn it. Is this just a flu or is this it? God damn it. That kid can't throw. God damn it. He's an artist. Shit. What are we going to do? Well, we got to let him do it. Do we? Yeah, we got, we can't fight him on this. We got to let him be or her be who, who, who she's going to be and, and to find herself. I don't know. I think we got to step in. Nah, let it, let it, let it, let it, let, let, let her, let let her, let her figure it out. Let him figure it out. Let him like embrace his creativity. Oh, now we got to find a rehab. Jesus Christ. It never ends with the kids I don't have. So, oh, yeah, I think that we should start negotiating. We should stop thinking in terms of a wall. I was thinking about my neighborhood and my house. There's a lot of these um, kind of like uh, these uh, kind of uh, loud, kind of belligerent you know, right-wingy people. It's like, well, you know, you build a wall around a house and, uh, you know, that's uh, that security. People do it all the time. So why not build a wall around the country? A little more territory and uh, hard to manage. But what I've noticed is I think hedges, a nice big hedge, uh, you know, sometimes a, a, a deterrent. So I, I don't know why that's not the conversation. So we can put some of the $5 billion or $4 billion left over into uh, things like education and uh infrastructure that would actually help people in a day-to-day basis and maybe start talking about a nice you know six seven maybe even eight foot uh manicured hedge along the um along the southern border with the with cameras every you know every mile or two like where's the hedge conversation that would be nice and you wouldn't have to steal anyone's land or uproot anybody and you know, uh, yeah, I guess you know there's an animal situation with the eating of the hedge, but I think that's I think that'd be a nice deterrent, just a pleasant hedge. I, I'd like to see the hedge discussions get underway. That's my that's my plan. Plant a hedge. No, doesn't have the same resonance. So Howie Mandel is here. His new stand-up special, Howie Mandel presents Howie Mandel at the Howie Mandel Comedy Club premieres. Friday night, January 18th on Showtime. Deal or No Deal is back Wednesday nights at 9 Eastern on CNBC. And uh, 
I, you know, I, I, I like Howie, and we had, we actually got me laughing at, at things that uh, I didn't think I, I would necessarily laugh at or think I would laugh at, but I think that's his gift. That's his gift. You're, you have that moment where you're like, really? And then you're like, oh, shit. All right, so this is me and Howie Mandel. Where'd you come in from? Santa Monica. That's where you live? Part, on the weekends, I'm in Santa Monica in a little apartment, Yeah, which I love. Yeah. And then the rest of the week, I live in the valley in the house where we raised our children, where I've been trying to talk my wife into selling, because I don't want any more stuff, but uh, she likes- Oh, so you just want to have, live the life of a, a, an elderly Jewish couple in, an, in a condo with kids who are out of the house? I am an elderly Jewish couple with a condo whose kids are out of the house. So it's not, it's not a, you don't aspire to do, that just happens. It's, it's a natural progression of things. That's where I am. But she wants to hang on to our youth, to the yeah. house. I don't want to, I don't, I don't like stuff. Stuff and problems. Houses have problems. There's never, there's no end to the problems. Well, what, I don't know what you're, I'm, we're sitting, I, I don't know yeah. how much you've uh, talked about this yeah. on, uh, but you're sitting in a, you created a, uh, like a project. This is a beautiful home. Yeah. You have a beautiful home. Thank you, you very really much. You really do. And it's like a piece of art. Mm. But, and, and I love looking at it. And I love looking at homes. And I actually like the real estate business. So I like buying and selling and fixing up. And You're a big real estate guy. I do like, I, you know what? As a kid, I played Monopoly. Yeah. And then as <laughs> an adult, <laughs> I'm still playing Monopoly. Yeah, yeah. Did you buy Park Place? <laughs> no, but See, I, I would a, love to. It's an expensive one. It is yeah. very expensive. So I love that game, but yeah. I don't want to, I'll buy something, but not, I don't want to take care of anything. Right. I'm having enough trouble trying to take Can't care of myself. Can't you just hire people to- that's what I do. It. Yeah. You know, but I mean, not to take care of me. I'm saying right. when I, when I, uh, yeah. I hire people to fix up the house. But do you I like, have you been investing in real estate for like decades kind of thing? Yes. Many, oh, so many. Smart. I am very smart. Yeah. And I have never really, you have to realize who you're talking to. You're talking to a guy who came out here and tried to make a living by putting a latex glove on their head. I, really, I know exactly who I'm talking to. No, but what I'm saying is yeah. I'm also intelligent enough to, uh, well, I was wrong, but I was intelligent enough to go, there's yeah. no way way that I can put that, the glove on my head for 40 years or that I can <laughs> maintain uh, three meals a day just no, with a rubber I, glove that's right right so right. I've always been cognizant of the fact that you know what if somebody gave me scale yeah you know yeah. for something and I made two three hundred dollars right now that I think that's up to five hundred dollars I wanted that five hundred dollars to work for me I've always been you thought that way where'd you always, earn that I, I've been there I was thrown out of school when I was uh, well, wait. Okay, so you're you're of the uh, the the Toronto Ma uh, Mandels. Yes, <laughs> I feel like I'm at a bar mitzvah. <laughs> you're the Toronto Mandels. Yes, uh, a Jewish family. Yes, yeah. It's, yeah, it's I, not I, a coincidence that I'm Jewish. No, My no, parents were yeah, also. Yeah, Jewish. no, I get it. But like, I'm always fascinated with the uh, Canadian Jew thing because as a guy who's a Jew whose uh, roots are in New Jersey. Yeah, it's I, not I listen to you and I know you and y your upbringing doesn't sound that different. No, it's than... exactly. But the, but the fact that there's like a huge Jewish community in Montreal and Toronto, I'm just sort of like, oh, we really got all over the place. 
You know, the Jews people get, are very fascinated by the fact of you know it's really interesting because British it, Jews. I'm like, really? You Jews right. talk like that? Well, <laughs> even when I met my first friend from like South Africa, yeah. I thought Africa. Yeah, and you know, my my reference was Tarzan. Right, and I never thought of <laughs> a little uh, limited. Yeah, a little yeah. bit limited. But I think a lot of Americans, you're probably more versed than the average yeah. person in this country. Yeah, you know, uh, they know very little about Canada and nothing, nothing. So the, you know, they they imagine these tundras and these igloos trappers yes. furs yeah jews yeah. and igloos yeah yeah yes which would kind of make sense that looks like the yarmulke yeah, it looks it like a frozen <laughs> for fro- only very religious jews live in igloos because they, they double yarmulke the house is a yarmulke and then yeah right but on, on shabbat you can't even light the candle in no, the igloo no yeah because oh, you can light the candle you can't turn anything on yeah did you grow up religious not really you no but conservative wait. yeah me too conservative but no guitars in the shoal no stained glass windows not reform no, just conservative no. you go on holidays you get the bar mitzvah maybe you do the confirmation thing and that's that what's a confirmation i, I know, know. Yeah, no one seems to know what that is it's i like don't when, know that's wait, not a jewish thing no it was when when i went to hebrew school when i was bar mitzvah you you're, you're supposed to go for another two years to hebrew school for the confirmation process I never heard of it. Maybe it was I a think, racket. I Maybe think, it was a racket. I think you were raised by liars. Yeah, I did. Who didn't want you around the house. Who, who, who wasn't? Said, who wasn't raised by liars? <laughs> right. to Two more degree. years to the confirmation. <laughs> I never heard that. I but, didn't hear that. What do you, is it a big Jewish family? Yours, uh, my brother and I. That's it? Yeah. And then when I moved out here, I tried to maintain it because I felt so lost and so out. Not enough Jews in Hollywood for you? It wasn't that. I felt like it, this was a culture shock. And yeah. I had never really, unlike a lot of people that grew up in the States and that, you know, uh, most of my generation where I come from, yeah. uh, lived, grew up and still in the neighborhood. Uh, work, you know, 10 miles from where we grew up. So your grandma was around the corner? Like a 10-minute drive, but, you know. I they were part of your life, they right? They were part of my life, both sides, yeah. grandparents, very close. Isn't that so great? So coming out, it actually is. Yeah. But you don't realize that, now you're saying that as an old Jew. Did you think it was great in the moment? No, thank God for my grandma Goldie. I would have been a disaster if there wasn't one one decent, like one grounded, stable adult in the world. She was great, but I would, my Your parents, father wasn't a grounded doctor? He was a doctor. How many doctors do you know that are grounded? I don't do you know, know a lot of doctors. I played yeah. a doctor on TV for six years. I know, but, but you I, seem I, to go to a lot of doctors. I do. You, you, I mean, you rely on Are they on not them. grounded? Don't tell me. No, they're grounded, but they're that's what they do. They're doctors all the time. They're, that's If they're like they're obsessive, you know, crazy people that spend their life being a doctor. You you took no comfort in the fact that there was a doctor in the next room. No, I was a complete hypochondriac for most of my life until it just it broke down finally, thank God. I'm a hypochondriac now, but but you didn't find that comforting. Well, that was the only way. There was I I in retrospect, I think that a lot of that in me, that neurotic thing, was to get attention from my father. I mean, you know, you got a doctor in the house who's like distant and never home. If you say I'm dying, yeah, he'll show up. I love that, <laughs> but I don't. You're, uh, you're, but but you're saying it as kind of a you're you're, you're coloring it as a little gray, like a little. That's a positive. That's a, it's I can't a positive. Imagine. But it would be nice, maybe some ball playing, maybe him not running around the house looking for a hat. Well, going you did crazy. ball playing, except you had to cough when he was playing <laughs> ball with you. Oh, you love that bit. You love it. I, I just came up with it. No, you didn't. I watched your special. Oh, you saw it already? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. I, I, no, I, I, you know, I, I, I related to it. I related to it. Now, you did a ball joke. It wasn't the same ball joke, but there was But, a, you know, there's only one set of balls. Yes, it's an extensive uh, uh, nut ball, uh, nut cream. Because thing. as a uh, comedian, we always look for the, you know, the relatability, right? You want people to be able to relate. 
Yeah, I think as some of us, yeah. It took me a long time to... Well, there was a period where I wanted to blow mine, so I wanted people to go like, wow, what the fuck? And then as you get older, you're like, you guys do this too? You know, I was never, I was not initially a you guys know what I'm talking about guy. But I thought, you know, can I just give you my perspective on you has always been, <laughs> no, but my perspective on you was even the curmudgeon, yeah. neurotic, yeah. was probably the most relatable. It was the tone that was relatable, sometimes it, more than the story. Right. We it all got, feel like... We want to be you, but we didn't have the the guts to sit in public and be and, that guy. And be that guy, but well, we yeah. are you. Yeah, I, I I always believed that. I got I got nicer early on. I wasn't. I was more bitter than curmudgeon. Bitter is not. It's hard to make bitter entertaining. I've learned because it's a little bit self pitying. The bitterness, like if you're just sort of I'm fucked. Fuck you. People are like I feel that, but you know. But you're here today, and that was a good bridge. Yeah, it was a good bridge. It was the only way I could get here. I think. But we're talking about um, Jews, doctors, love, family. My grandma Comedy. Goldie, my grandma Goldie. Yeah, uh, I, I liked it when I was a kid because my parents left Jersey when I was very young. So I would go back. And if I spend a week or two at my grandparents, it was great. I loved it. And, and they weren't in the neighborhood except when I was very young. And they took care of me a lot because my parents were. And, doing look at, and you've made it. And it's because yeah, of that. Fi- at 45, Howie, I finally pulled it out of the bag. And now I'm 55. And, you know, it's been a good decade. I'm 63. Yeah, but you were always making it. You know, but I never feel like I'm making it. I always feel like I'm like clawing and scraping to just stay with my head above the water. But let's go back. Let's let's okay. like so you're in Toronto. What's your brother do now? Uh, lighting, like not not uh, show business lighting. Like he sells these lights. To, like these pot lights that are aiming like down you, on you could go to him and say, "I want a medium sized pendant for my uh, for my." Wow, you kitchen. just bought a house, you know, <laughs> sconce. Pendant. Yeah, I need a sconce. Where do I get sconces? I didn't even know the term pendant. Yeah, but I, I, I know I what it either. is. I, I know from it. Well, you do. I do now. See, a pendant, sure. I thought, was something you put on a lapel. It is, it's also that. Why would you put a chandelier on your lapel? Well, a moron would do that because he doesn't understand. He's taking the Lighting. word. He's We're a, talking about it. That's right. How's, you know, so, okay, so my brother, my, my father's business was the lighting business. My brother was his partner. My father has since passed, and my brother has that. But my brother, nobody in my life was in show business. And um, I- Your dad w- was always a lighting business owner? No, he had a strip club. He had a strip club in he Toronto? He had a club, no, in Stratford, Ontario. Stratford, uh, Stratford is the, probably the biggest, um, there's a Shakespearean festival, Stratford on the Avon in London. Yeah. And there's a Stratford on the Avon outside of Toronto. Yeah. And he bought a hotel there that had a bar in it. It wasn't uh, particularly, it wasn't- a, consistently a strip club but he hired strip he hired entertainment yeah and so these are show business yeah i wasn't allowed to, the the one thing i saw is he had uh this one stripper princess glow uh-huh. and princess glow weighed probably 350 pounds mm-hmm. and she took a bubble bath uh on the stage in a in a big uh kind of a champagne and she was very agile she was able to she came out of the 300 the, pounds yeah, maybe more. Yeah. And and I we, we she was big. Yeah. And that was her thing. Yeah. And then she walked around the yeah. room with her wet soapy breasts and yeah. dropped them on bald guys' heads. That was the act. And you saw that. I think that might be the inspiration for the rubber glove. On I, the I head. was just gonna say. Yeah. I mean you're like this just a woman. I just has came a, to that realization she, she right a, now. She has a hook. You yes. just need a hook. Well, for me it was more like protection. I just didn't want any 
thing that wasn't mine dropped on my head that was wet. Oh, that was it? I don't know. I don't know. Now I'm doing, this is more of an analysis and I'm, I'm going back on myself. It is. It is fine. I'm always, you know. But you thought that way when you were a kid, like that looks germy? Yeah. I don't have any recollection of not feeling that way. And in my day and age, which is your day and age, but it, you know, the stigma of being crazy yeah um it was is and was even a bigger stigma so it was kind of my craziness was accepted so my brother when my brother and i would accepted by your family you mean in the sense that it was normal nobody said anything like if my brother really wanted to fuck with me he would hold the laundry hamper lid near me and i would scream like a little girl and not come home for hours really? but nobody said why does that why does that really well they just said like the mandel kids touched he's got a little bit of an issue but uh, he's a good kid yeah i remember being <laughs> 5 or 6 i can't remember how old you are when you learn to tie your laces but they taught me to tie my laces and and then i remember my my laces undid at yeah. school Many times, because yeah. I wasn't good at tying the laces. But once the laces had touched the ground, I didn't want to touch the laces. Really? So my shoe would be untied and loose, and yeah. I'd walk in a Quasimodo kind of limp just to, to keep, keep my shoe shoes on. on. Yeah. But then, and I allowed the children to make fun of me because I was the only one in the class that didn't know how to tie their shoes, and I didn't want to say I did know how to tie my shoes, but I didn't want to touch. The... I didn't want to touch. So every waking moment was um for me a tor it was torturous that you know within i didn't really share but it sounds like you know the 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 hinge of that story is you let the other kids laugh at you and uh, and that seemed to serve you i mean because you're still letting them laugh at your choose your pain you know uh, th that i didn't i loved uh Laughter for me, my parents uh, always, uh, maybe I did have a very different home upbringing than you. They loved comedy. Loved. My grandma comedy. did. My grandparents. And my, my uh, I remember my parents watching like Jack Parr yeah. and, and listening to albums. Yeah. And, and, and I must have been like under five. And I would hear them laugh. And that laughter was like a magnet. And yeah. I would run into the living room to see what they were laughing at. Yeah. And it, whether I was watching a, you know, a stand-up comic on TV. So I'd watch a stand-up comic on TV. And he would be talking. And it was, uh, the best comparison is as if it wasn't English to me. Because as a four-year-old, you have no reference. Yeah. You know? My mother-in-law yeah, yeah. says, I don't even know what the fuck a mother-in-law is. <laughs> but, you know? but you knew the guy was funny. You knew because he was saying it a certain way. Right. Yeah. So the, the, I got the idea that yeah. there was cadence and everything. Yeah. And I remember sitting on the floor and looking back. And my parents were hysterical. And my dad would be wiping his eyes because he'd be crying, with, yeah. whatever somebody was saying. The first inclination of how to achieve this, yeah. and 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 it seemed to be, with all my neurosis about staying clean and not touching things, this was a comfortable place to be bathed in the sound of laughter. And I remember one Sunday night, maybe five, six years old, I sat there and they were watching Candid Camera. Yeah, and Alan Funt. Alan Funt. Yeah, who was like a reassuring kind of doctor type. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. in my mind. Yeah. A familiar old Jew. Yes. Yeah. But he explained to me, and I've never had that before. He explained to me what he was going to do. And right. he said, here's what we're going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a fake office here. Yeah. And we have hired a young lady to answer phones. Yeah. And I have told her as the boss, yeah. under no uncertain terms, you cannot miss a phone call. You have to, right. you know, my whole life and my whole business is predicated on getting these phone calls. Yeah. You must get the phone call. 
So she, we know that there's a woman hired yeah. to answer the phone. He shows me that there's a rope attached to the desk. Yeah. And that rope goes through a wall into another room where every time the phone rings and she goes to reach for it, they're going to pull the rope and the whole desk is going to slide across the room away from her. Yeah. So now this is the first time I understand. This is yeah. English. It's not in the form of a joke. Right. He's told me exactly what he has set up. Yeah. As a five-year-old, I understand it. That anticipation bubbles inside of me. I mean, yeah. it's like when you're hiding behind the couch waiting for yeah. a surprise party. Right. And I look back at my parents and we're all waiting or waiting. <laughs> and the woman sits down and the phone rings and she goes to reach for it. And they pull the rope and it goes and her jaw drops. And yeah. I was hysterical you remember that first I laugh do, i like do first time I had the first time i it's exactly like that yeah and it was the first time i laughed and my parents my parents were probably in their 20s and 30s at yeah. the time they were laughing and the three of us were laughing and i said oh my god this is the best feeling you know as an adult i yeah. realized that when you can have that kind of deep laughter there's a uh, endorphins That's that great. are released it was an amazing yeah. thing. now i never had the idea that i just wanted to try yeah. to redo that so again no understanding of the concept of this guy has a television show yeah this guy has an audience yeah no it's this just guy's a... getting paid i just tried to reclaim that for the rest of my life and the way i reclaim that you know and i i have since been diagnosed with you know severe adhd yeah and other issues and part of the issues that i've diagnosed i don't think of the repercussions i don't think ahead i just i'm really impulsive so I would sometimes at school and places in the moment do something in, in my mind, you know, whenever it gets quiet in the room, I'm going to scream. Yeah. But I, you know, and, and that's just ridiculous. It's, I don't know that it's even funny. I didn't have a friend in the world to say, watch this, as soon as it gets quiet, I'm going to scream. Go, yeah. So I would just, you know, the, the room would be quiet and I'd go, Wah! you know, and Everybody would look at me and the teacher would just stop and I would be laughing hysterically alone, alone. So you, were the, you were that kid. Well, it wasn't, I'm not the class clown. No, I know. I'd have I, no know. Fun. I would hire, well, one time in the yellow pages, I hired a construction worker. Didn't tell anybody. Yeah. I hired a company, gave my name yeah. so that in math class from the third floor, I saw this guy, I said, I want to get a, a quote on an addition to the library. At the school. At the school. Yeah. And it was just fun for me to, to sit in math and there's a guy out back with a tape measure and a clipboard. And you did that. I did that, but nobody, nobody, I didn't share it with an audience. I didn't share it. I didn't have any reason to do this, yeah. but the joy, like in my own mind, this yeah. is how off I was. Yeah. You know, I'm not really the guy that has the authority to do this. Right. I sure, called okay. a guy yeah. and he's there because of me, but <laughs> why not share that with an audience so everybody can look out the window and maybe right. laugh, but they didn't. And then I watched yeah. the, and I got more excited as I watched the vice principal walk out and, it's, and what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? And they said, well, we're going to give a quote who authorized this. I'd given my name, which I thought was funny too. <laughs> Uh, Howie Mandel. And then I remember we're all sitting in class and they go, could Howard Mandel please come down to the office? I come down the office. I'm face to face with the, with the, uh, vice principal. He said, did you, did you hire a construction company yeah. to, and I, dead pan serious. I go, no, 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 no. I'm getting quotes. Yeah. And then I could see like in that time and it's no context. I'm not a comedian. I'm not in show business. I was never in a school. I wasn't in a school play. Nothing. Could you just wait here? Like he's handling me with kid gloves. Like, 
an, ex yeah. an explosive, you yeah. know? He called my parents. He called my parents in. My parents are sitting there. And I was enjoying this, again, alone. Mm -hmm. And he explained that, you know, your son called a construction company and he was measuring and he's wasting these people's time. And I could see my mother biting her lip because they did have a sense of humor. Sure. I don't know that they thought I was doing it to be funny, but for me, I kind of grasped the situation and yeah. thought, like, what does he expect them to say? We told him never to get quotes on an edition. Yeah. So, you know... And eventually, you know, I had behavioral problems, they said, and they asked me to leave. And I went to another school. They asked me to leave. Because you kept doing weird shit. Weird shit. But and, weren't you being made fun of? Yeah. I you know, mean, I was, you have to realize I tried to be accepted. And then I thought, okay, sports. Yeah. Uh, sports. But what sport can I get into? At, in, Where you don't touch people. Well, the, the, you, you want to say, at, at, in high school, I was four foot ten. I weighed 86 pounds. You didn't eat? The all, I did, but the only, I was just a waif. I was yeah. just a little, and, and uh, I wanted to get in sports. I wanted to meet a girl. Yeah. You know, and uh, I couldn't, get, what team am I going to get on to? What, yeah, I got on one, yeah. uh, the wrestling team, like an idiot. But I thought if they saw me in a uniform and I was on a team, I don't, I don't think. So now they give me a singlet. I'm yeah. wearing a one-piece girl's bathing suit. Yeah. I have curly brown hair down on my shirt. I look like a little girl. Yeah. And for a guy that doesn't want to shake hands, now I'm rolling around in the under 90 weight class. On the floor. I'm on the floor with other guys. <laughs> I, I wanted to meet a girl, and now I'm in a one-piece girl's bathing suit with a sweaty guy lying on top of me pinning me. How, that, how long that last? Two years. So the, so you were <laughs> in it. Yeah, but how, how did you- I, well, I wanted to quit, but I didn't. <laughs> they didn't have anybody under 90. But the coach was my history teacher. The coach wouldn't let me quit. But it, was, but it wasn't so paralyzing that, you know, like, I mean, how you couldn't function like that now. I mean, obviously the germophobia well, right now got I'm, worse. Well, I would go home and take four showers. I would be washing my hands. I wouldn't touch anything. When I took off my singlet, it couldn't touch. I made a divider in my, in my locker so it wouldn't touch anything. There's a lot of work. You know, I was able to maintain you know uh, some sense of normalcy but by building and, and right but it's weird the specificity of it because like i have a, a little bit of ocd but it's not you, you know i need you know th things need to I, I i have an order issue i have a checking issue you know stoves and stuff like i i can get locked in it but it's not paralyzing but it's weird that like you have this basic germophobia but yet you, you know the real focus of dealing with it happens after the fact like you know you're keeping separate but you're still rolling around on the ground but because somehow i have two different issues you know i have a, I have a lot of uh you know ocd and uh adhd so i'll do something without any thought and then i go oh fuck right how do i get but out you of still this? had to live with touching other people and rolling around on the ground and i did you know the yeah. truth of the matter is like even when in 1999 when i i got a talk show i told them you know uh the, the powers that be was Paramount at the time. You know, if I'm going to have guests on, is there any way that I don't have to, because I see on every talk show when somebody comes on and you greet them, yeah. you shake hands. Right. That's why I love this podcast. We yeah. haven't touched. I'm, no, I don't no wanna, we did a fist thing. A little at, fist. At, at I'm, I've been highly aware of your... <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. But they said, no, we can't, you know, in 1990, we can't deal with that. You know, you, you got to shake people's hands. And that so, was a deal breaker? Not a deal breaker, but, I, you know, I didn't, I, it wasn't a negotiable thing. It was just something that I asked. Were you, were you visibly uncomfortable every time you? 
Was it, was I was like, because people would come on, you know, to promote their movie and they might have a cold and that's not why they missed a show. How many times have you seen a talk show where somebody goes, I don't know, I got a bit of the flu. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah. my nightmare. Yeah. So I, my friend who is a, an orthopedic surgeon. That's where my dad was. Orthopedic surgeon? Yeah. So he gave me that scrub shit, you know, the- Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so, the weird orange stuff? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had it under my desk. And then- <laughs> Did you have a sink under there? No, I had a little, yeah. I made a little like a, 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 a wash pot. pan, like there was a wash pan and I could do that and then rub it under my desk. But then, uh, you know, I said something that I'm a germaphobe. This is the start. And the guy has, he's actually, I think he's from Philly or Pennsylvania, the guy that invented Purell. Yeah. He sent me the first- uh, tubs of Purell. You're, he you're said, I guy? put them on the map because I go, I need to Purell. I need to Purell. We made that the vernacular, you're right? You're the guy? I'm the guy. But he, And he's given me, I've, I've done a fundraiser at his temple, the guy that owns Purell. <laughs> so, But um, I used it so much. Purell's great. I'm yeah. not knocking it. But I use so much antibacterial um, my hands were continuously soaked in it yeah. that uh, I started to notice, I started getting warts all over my hands. Warts? Warts. Because you, you, you didn't have any natural immunity to right. shit so, on your So hands. that was the point. I killed all the bacteria, the good bacteria, the bad bacteria, and whatever. So all these viruses started growing on my hands. So yeah. I, I learned that. fucked yourself. I, I did. There's no good... There's no method to my ma madness. It's just madness. So when do you like, okay, so you get kicked out of school, you're a prankster, but no one appreciates it because they don't know you're doing, you're just a weirdo. Mm -hmm. And what do you, do you have jobs? How did, when do you start? Yeah, comedy? no, I did really good. I, I had carpet stores. I'm colorblind. I opened up carpet. I you're I colorblind too? I am. I have uh, so many issues. No, but I mean, like, what does that mean? Um... You, were, you know, red, green, I reds and greens kind of look alike and browns oh. and, you know, but, but to be a carpet salesman, it's not good. <laughs> I'll tell you it's not good, but I used to sell a lot of carpet. You can see patterns though, But right? I could sell. I learned it. Okay. So I've got a job in a, cause I was thrown out of school. I don't have a GED. Everybody went on ahead of me. All my friends, w w you know, went to college yeah. and then became lawyers. Right. In fact, my best friend since I was 13 is my manager today. Really? Yeah. Michael Rotenberg. Oh, that right. Three arts. I was on. I was. I was with Rotenberg for a while. Yeah. you've been with him since the beginning. Since yeah. we were thirteen. I saw him when you were at the store for some reason not right. too long ago. Yeah. Yeah. So he's uh, Michael Rotenberg slept on my couch when he was going to law school, and he was a window washer here in L.A. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll go. Everyone got their GED, and you didn't. No, and I was, uh, and and I did not like at the time. This is the mid seventies. Um, I'm not into disco. I'm yeah. not into dancing. I didn't go to clubs and dance. People were learning. Did you have a girlfriend? When did that happen for you? Um, I, I, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends. And then the girl that I'm with now. Your wife. Yes. She's still a girl. Yeah. Uh, it, we've been together 40 years. So you got one and you're like, this one, I got I better hang on to this <laughs> shit. Because <laughs> they don't come easy, you know? And I don't want to be wrestling around on the ground with another bunch of sweaty guys. In a unitard. The, in, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so um, I, I didn't, they started opening up, there was, in the mid-70s, yeah. there, there was this wave of, comedy clubs yeah you know you're from new york so i think catch opened up and the right. improv They're, yeah city-based comedy clubs not franchises yet but no uh, no but, no, but no, no just a, a big thing. club yeah and in in toronto we had a yuck yucks mark breslin yeah wow you're good i've been doing this a while i wow. mean i've been in comedy a while i know but just yeah. to remember the names i don't remember the guys who owned the funny bones or anybody i don't remember i only i, I remember some club owners that guy's name is stroop the wow. funny bones in columbus I don't know. All right, go I ahead. just remember there was a whole chain. Yeah. So, so, but the point was that I heard about this. Yeah. 
And I, I went one night with one or two friends because I didn't like disco. Yeah. And they said, "Do you want? To, have you ever seen stand-up comedy? I'd gone to Second City and saw that. You, you know, did. Sketches. Back in the day, like when Gilda was there and stuff? Or Gilda no? and Martin Short. You saw those people? John Candy and all those people. Because they were in Toronto. They were in Toronto. Rick Moranis. Oh, Rick wow. Moranis was the FM radio guy who started doing, I saw him at Yuck Yucks yeah. doing stand-up before wow. he was doing even his movies. That's crazy. It is crazy. So uh, did you see that that production of uh, Godspell? No, it did oh. not. I watched the the their Second City, yeah. whatever they were doing. So so I, somebody said one night, "You want to go see a comedy club, yeah. stand up comedy?" I go, you know, I've never seen stand up comedy live. You know, I saw on the Tonight Show, sure. and I didn't. So I go Where, there. Did you like comics? Were you at that point into comedy? No, no. not at all. Yeah, not at all. Just, just passive. Just kind of. Take it or what it. do you want to do? Yeah. So I go see live comedy. And there was something at the time in the mid seventies that doesn't exist anymore, but it was electric. Yeah. It was fun. And to see some young, edgy, talking about real stuff, talking about stuff that I can relate to. You remember who you saw? That night, you wouldn't know any of them, but Larry Horowitz. Uh Uh-huh. Do you know who he is? Nope. No, he's, these are all local comics. I don't know. Jerry Bednob. Yeah, sure. Jerry Bednob came out here. And, I remember and Jerry, yeah. Yeah. So I had gone to the club, watched it, and it was great. I just sunk into the whole thing. At this point, unlike when I was four, I understood all the references. A lot of these people were my age yeah. in their early 20s, yeah. and they were talking about dating, and they were talking about you know the, how their parents fucked them up, and yeah. they were talking about... And I'm just laughing my head off. And then Breslin comes up, and he goes, you know, at midnight, if, uh, if, you, if you think you can do this, Amateurs Monday at midnight, you should get up and do it. And the guy they're sitting with goes, you should do it. I yeah. went, okay, I'm going to go up <laughs> Monday. Let's come back Monday. So that was that. And again, no, I didn't have any uh, desire to do it. I just said, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, impulsive. I, impulsive. No, um, uh, and then once I said, I'll do it, I'll do it. Yeah. But no preparation. Right. No thought yeah. that maybe you should, you know, prepare. Yeah. Maybe you're going to be standing in front of strangers. Maybe this will be humiliating. Maybe you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. And maybe there's no reason to do this. Come midnight. Were you freaking out? No, because I don't think about that. Really, stuff. You didn't have fear. You, yeah. No, and that's my. Uh, it's been my my uh, gift and my hell yeah. because uh, I have enough fears in other places where I shouldn't have fears. Right. The, like if I think I might have to shake somebody's hand, that's fearful. Standing in front of you no know, dread, ten, no dread. Well. I'll tell you where the dread came. So there's no thought. I just thought, you know, and I think if I had to analyze, you know, this would be fun because I'm not a comedian. Wait till they see this. I'm coming out at midnight. I got yeah. a couple of friends with me. I'm just going to make, uh, it's just going to be a, a shit show. No plan. No plan. What are you kidding? What do you plan? I don't, I didn't know that jokes are planned. Yeah. So he goes, ladies and gentlemen, uh, now Howie Mandel. It's the first time I heard my name, you know, uh, over a microphone. Yeah. I walk out and, you know, it's a 300-seat club. There's a lot of people there. This is the heat of, you know, the, the, the mid-70s. The, the, and, the first wave. Right. Yeah. And, and, I, and I walk out and I'm standing there and then I, it, then this wash over me is holy fuck. Fuck, look where I... And I'm not sitting at a table with a friend. Yeah. There's nobody to look at. The lights are in your eyes. Yeah. It's burning your retinas. Yeah. I look down to the first row. Yeah. The first row. There's people sitting there that yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 
And I could see, I, I'm not a good face reader, but anticipation, like sure. do something yeah. for me, funny boy. Yeah. Like what uh, the fuck are you yeah. wasting our and time? Then, then it's, isn't it great when you see that face sort of turn into like weird uh, shock, disappointment. Oh, it was disappointment sadness. within it, you know, because I, so there was this thing. So then I figured <laughs> in my mind, I was live in the moment. I was, and if you get, if you watch any of my old YouTube, yeah. it was real. So now the panic sets in. So I go, oh shit, like this is the end. There's no, so I go, okay, okay, okay. All right, okay, okay, all right. And that's stuck. And I was thinking, (laughs) and then they start to giggle, and I go, what, what, what? Yeah. Okay, all right, okay, what, okay, wouldn't this be, all right. Um, You know what I was, and I had nothing but except this exuberant fear and trying to get things going, and that's even where the glove came out of, because I had OCD, I had a glove in my pocket, so I, you know, I pull it out, and I go, okay, okay, what if I just, (laughs) this is ridiculous, I'm gonna pull it over my head, and then I start breathing and the fingers go up, they're roaring. And I'm yeah. going, like in my mind, I'm going, what th- th- this sound of these people accepting nothing mm-hmm. is the most, uh, and I walked off the stage. It was just great. I did two, three minutes. That's I think, where that, the glove came up because you had to carry them with Nothing. You. I had that. And that's what, if you look at all my old uh, specials, it's, it's me going, okay, okay, okay. I what? know. You still, what? I, was, I was surprised last night after 20 years you haven't done a special that there's not a lot of that left. You don't do that because that was such a signature thing. It it's was like, my hand. You're talking about my gestures, but well, they were real. No, I know, I know. But like, but you, you know, you got used to them. But last night, you're a little more comfortable. You're moving around the stage, right? But th- there's still a little there. Yeah, the, well, the pace. You know, it's me, but yeah. it doesn't come from. But that I've always been, and always, uh, and and you know, my new special, which is on Showtime, is about, and it was even that time in in 1977 or 76, whenever I got up on stage. What's worked for me is authenticity. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the real stories. Yeah. And I'm not making up jokes. No, and yeah. I'm not making up. And but it, I think that thing came organically, obviously. Yeah. But it did become a signature thing. Right. My my hand yeah. and the turning and the yeah. nervousness and the contorting. When that became a conundrum for me, because when I ended up getting things or fig- figuring out how to, you know, assimilate these moments into an act, like I'll close with the glove on the head, yeah. I'll open with I can do the Bobby's voice yeah. and I can do this. I was no longer nervous. And then I didn't enjoy when I was going, OK, OK, because they wanted to hear me say, OK, yeah. Okay, okay, what what was real? It yeah. was genuine. And and, you, uh, and, it, and it became a curse. A little bit because it was uh, it became an act. You know that right. first one wasn't an act, right? And what you see on Showtime now is, you know, I'm doing. I guess you do a stand up act, sure, but it is me. No, of course, yeah. I mean, you you came to your stage persona organically, always, and it's constantly changed throughout the years. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I I mean, I, I noticed that right away. That, but you said you're different. We, we started your conversation. Oh yeah. Well, I was very defensive. Like you know, I handled it differently. You know, there, I I started out doing sort of aggressive jokes. I was a kind of neurotic Jew when I when I was younger. But then I got angry, and I I liked that kind of shock driven, kind of like provocative comedy. But as I got older and more relaxed. You know, that that need to really connect started to happen, you know, to have that conversation with the audience. But the people that do best, there's no there's no doubt. I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. The reason you're doing great now is because I think that people adhere to authenticity. Yeah, they know me. Yeah, that's for sure. I can't hide myself. 
I don't. It's not a. You know, it's I can't. Not a character. I can't hide behind jokes. I can't. But even the anger yeah, was no, real. real. Oh yeah. So you made a. But you made a living doing that. Yeah, you paid it. the rent. Yeah. Doing it. It Barely for you to for do that. Me, yeah. It doesn't matter. The yeah. point is, I find it fascinating. You know, for me, people say, "How do you make it? How do you make it yeah. in this business?" Success in making it is to find. You know, the fact that I found that I was so messed up, and the fact that I found this path. This, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world, even if you're barely paying the rent. You know, when yeah. I moved out of here, I wasn't making a lot of money. But it, your singular sort of thing, like it, there's two di- types of guys, because you know and I know that there are guys that work their ass off writing jokes and they're great and they can go up there and make those jokes work. And usually they end up writers, but there is a way to do comedy. Like when people ask me about it, I'm like, look, if you don't got what it takes to be a stand up, which is a hell of a life, but you have a knack for joke writing and stuff. There's other avenues for you to use that talent. But, you know, to be a, a guy who stands on stage, you know, you got, you're got you going to need a little more than just jokes. Yeah, but I think what, what kind of resonates now with everybody and anyone, whether it's comedy, yeah. politics, wh- whatever it is, is authenticity. authenticity sure. is more than ever. And I think it's the advent of reality TV. and Right, it, but also, like, you had that problem because what you, you created was authentic, but then when you start to realize you got to repeat it, then there's the then you start to realize like well there is you know I'm being me but this is me on stage, right? You know what I mean? It, it came from the real place, right? But there are days where you're like, no, I got to do it again. I got to like, okay, okay, you yeah. Know, like, and I, I didn't feel, feel like that, <laughs> yeah. You know, and 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 I'm going what what? But yeah. I know what yeah. I know what you're <laughs> laughing at when I when I started going what what? But that's I, okay. There's a little you relax a little bit though, right? When you now know I that. do. Well, so when do you like? Did you become a big star in Canada? No. So I came, uh, I'm from Toronto and, uh, Detroit comics started coming over and playing in Yak Yak. So Mike Binder mm. and he'd Mikey. come up, yeah, Mikey, he'd come up with Coulier and, and those guys. And there's another guy. When he guy. was like 12? Yeah. He was called Kid Comedy. I know. Yeah. You know, yeah. and he, and he, when he came back to Detroit, he was already working in LA that he would play. Mark Breslin learned, you know, Canada has an inferiority complex. Yeah. And so does Mark Breslin, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that, that's the th- they would, at, especially at that time. Yeah, um, we would be on every night. People were enjoying themselves. But if Mark Breslin put from New York, you know, and it was a name you didn't know, it was another young guy. That place was lined up down the hall because really? there was some reverence, and still to this day, given to somebody who's been in New- when you're from Canada, been in New York been to LA and even if you're a comic that is from Toronto and you went to LA you have to make sure that the audience knows that and that yeah. kind of gives you the stamp of approval right well I think but Breslin because of the way he handled it did a great thing for Canadian comedy I mean he really he was Canadian yeah, comedy he supported he, he it, a and chain, he yeah. it yeah and that's where they all you know you're talking about Norm Macdonald coming mm-hmm. out of there you're talking about Jim Carrey coming out of there you're talking about it just a, and so many writers and yeah. producers yeah. and people that are it went on to do great things and in fact, that's become my mission to kind of uh, put Canada on the map as a hotbed for comedy. That's why I bought the. Uh, yeah, you bought the festival. I have a festival. <laughs> yeah, you're the festival. <laughs> I, I am. Well, I'm one of the. I'm one of the partners. But for those that don't know, the Just for Laughs Festival. And, which, and can I tell you, you were very eloquent this year because uh, Glow won that. Oh, big thank award you. Yeah, and you were. You spoke so wonderfully. Oh, thanks, man. Here's the weird thing about you, with all the neurotic and all this and that, is that essentially what ails you is what makes you so driven and, and so successful. 
Well, I have said that, you know, I have learned to be comfortable with discomfort. Me too. And you got to. Yes. And that fuel is what makes you feel alive. If you're scared to death, if you're really excited. I love the moments in comedy when it's not going well. I love the fear of standing in front of a huge crowd and having it go into the toilet and then just try to oh, yeah. bring it yeah, back. Yeah, because you're cornered yourself. And that's when you know you're really funny. Oh, if I you, love that. Yeah. And that's kind of like uh, my analogy is I love roller coaster. I love death defying. But you're very diplomatic. I mean, you're not out there like you're not going to push them so far away on purpose to where they're not going to like you. No, and I don't push them on purpose. Mm -hmm. I'm saying if I do something right. that doesn't work, work yeah. you know, I remember once playing at Radio City Music Hall. Yeah. And the crowd is fucking on fire. Yeah. Like it's going crazy. Yeah. And I should be enjoying myself, but I'm a neurotic comic. There's one guy oh, in the yeah. front. Yeah. And you like a laser, you're going, <laughs> yeah. the fucking guy, he's not making any eye contact. I, I did that the other night. He's not like, right. <laughs> it's like two, the night before last at the main room. Yeah. There were two dudes up front, and I'm like, what is happening? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. The rest of the room's enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're so focused on that negative, yeah, on that yeah, one person. Yeah. So I don't know why, you know, what drove me, but it's just the sure. neurosis that we yeah, all share. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And I go, wait, 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 everybody. The fucking guy in the blue sweater, he doesn't even make eye contact with yeah. me. He doesn't seem to be enjoying the show. What the fuck is your problem? Yeah. What is your problem? Yeah. And the lady next to him yeah. says, he's blind. <laughs> And I he's blind. And you could you could feel the air the, the vacuum. The vacuum. And everybody's, yeah, you know, heart yeah, just dropped in yeah. the stomach. And I it was just dead. And I wasn't enjoying the moment. But then in that moment, like where was I gonna go? I was in comedy hell. But I said what was I'm open enough that whatever I'm thinking, right. I go, can I ask? Th th this is my question. And I know I probably fucked it. I shouldn't have pointed. I was doing great. I don't yeah, know yeah. why I put a stop to this. But I do have a question. Yeah. If you have a blind friend, why the fuck are you wasting money on front row tickets? Like, there's no reason for this guy to be sitting <laughs> up front. Put him in the balcony and lie to the fucker yeah. and tell him he's in the front row. You said that? It would be, yes. <laughs> and the audience, I won them back yeah. with that. You know, and the, the point was that felt better than the continuum of, you know, the I act. was killing, killing, yeah, yeah, killing. Yeah, yeah being I, in the moment. I lost it yeah. in the moment. Brought it back it's in the, the moment, and I can regale you with that story again years later. But those are the highlights for me. That well, that's always been the way I work. Like I, you know, I go up with an idea, and some of the best moments as a stand-up they only happen once. Yes, and it's and it, and people. I don't know if they quite understand that, but you walk off, you do your whole act, and there's one line that came out of nowhere, and you're like, "That was that was the show." That one. Well, now I understand, you know, as I do love music, yeah. you know, and uh, how many times have you gone to a concert, a music concert? Right. You go, he didn't play his fucking hits. Yeah. He didn't play his hits. Right. And not until I got into this business. Listen, I still want to hear the hits. Sure, of course. And there's a reason why I'm there. But I understand as a performer yeah. why maybe he or she doesn't want to play for the 100,000th time the sure. exact right. same song. Even though the crowd's going to go wild, yeah. everybody's going to love it. It's your encore piece. But our odds are better. Because like, when they do a new song that no one's heard before, people really don't give a fuck. Yeah, but when you're a comic and you're going off your act, they don't know that, number one. And number two, that moment that you do something new could be the best thing you did all night. Right. I think that bands, like they're like, no, we're going to try the new one. And the rest of the band's like, do we have to? They're like, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But but the, still, it, it, 
we need more from a, an audience than even a musician needs. Yeah. I always say that on on America's Got Talent. You know, the the uh, comic is the least. Uh, there's no real um, honor given to it. You know, we're always the clown that cleans up at the end. You know, I always resented the fact, listen, I did the Tonight Show 22 times. I'm talking about Johnny Carson. I resented the fact that we talked about how we had to be invited over to the couch. That was a big deal. I, I, you know, and I did it and I was- What do you mean you resented it? Because it it kind of put us in a- Donnie Most- yeah. Who's on Ralphie. Happy Days. Yeah. Ralphie. Yeah. So he's the uh, third banana, and I'm not knocking him, on a sitcom. Yeah. Johnny Carson was a ladies and gentlemen, Donnie Most. And he'd come out and he'd sit on the couch and they'd talk to him and ask him, yeah. tell me some stories about yeah. what's happening on oh, the I set. Get it. And I get it. Do that. But we got to earn it. Somehow. Uh, a comic is put on at the end of the show. No one knows they, who he is. They, we write our own material. We're not singing a cover. Yeah. We write our own material. Yeah. We create our own character. Yeah. We need to elicit more than anybody on that show. Every 30 seconds, there has to be a sound. Otherwise, you go in the toilet. And then yeah. we look over to see whether it was good enough, whether we get a thumbs up or we can sit down. Yeah. Like, the point is that, <laughs> but but if a singer came yeah. on, yeah. they were always yeah, invited. I like, that. I like that about you. You still got a little fuck you in you. You know, like, you know, what the fuck is that? Yeah. But I, it's because I looked at it from the outside before I was even a comic. Seeing those comics, sometimes they didn't sit. How come some people sat and talked to Johnny, but yeah. other people didn't? Yeah. And how come the real funny guy that I liked at the end didn't even, yeah. Johnny didn't say hi, or they didn't even walk over to him? I remember did, outside of seem, show business. Didn't seem fair to you. No. Yeah. And 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 he talked to some actress who I didn't know, who I saw on We're boring. So said it was a movie. It was boring and she talked about going shopping. This guy came out and slayed and uh, yeah, he, and then I heard when I started, the comics were really fine. I looked over and I got the thumbs up. Right. And we learned to settle for that. Yeah. And we learned, you know, he called me over. The second time yeah. I was on, he allowed me to sit down. Yeah. You know, and it was I like thought being uh, ordained or 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 like, you know, knighted. It did, yeah. you know, and the truth of the matter is, and I don't know that there's any place that that exists anymore. That was the place where when you went on the next day, your life was right. definitely different. Yeah, that doesn't happen in a good way anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. You can say something. <laughs> It'll change your life forever. But but the, but the interesting thing about me and you, uh, you know, in just talking to you is that. Even with how scary it is, if we have ideas, I think that they are harder to get out, uh, you know, without really finessing them. But because like I watched, you know, the special last night that I have a natural sort of thing, like if I'm presenting something that might be challenging or that I'm uncomfortable with or that like is a risk. You know, instead of just shoving it into their heads, you know, I'll, I'll be like, you know, OK, so I'm going to do this and we're going to get through this together. And there's that that feeling. I still think that you can get through most things together if you're a right minded individual and you're struggling with something comedically. Right. That you can present it in a way where it's understandable and funny. Except for the fact that the technology mm. that exists today is a piece of that could be taken out of context and shared. That's with true. People who weren't there. I'm, I'm very fortunate, I guess, because of my audience. No one has ever posted a video of me doing you know, it's not I even did, a video, I, uh, you know, yeah, uh, it's, a soundbite. It yeah. could be a soundbite. But and then there's other ways to be embarrassed. So I've got the special on Showtime and the special on Showtime is after 20 years I've been yeah. doing stand up, but I'm still going out. You know, I still do like 100 live dates a year. And you got that club in AC? I have my own club in AC. 
at, at the Hard Rock, the Howie Mandel Club. That's where I shot this special. Well, I saw that. Yeah, but what is what's it? How does that deal work? You put your name on it. You agree to appear there a certain number of times a year, and you have yeah. something to do with the booking, or no? Nothing to do with the booking, but right. something to do with the profit. Right. I get a piece of the profit. <laughs> but because I have a special on, I don't want to go out. You know, I'm going out this month, and I don't want to do that exact set that you just saw. That's the it, biggest challenge. So I'm writing. Yeah. Writing today is not like writing before. I'll give you an example, and this is a piece that I'm working on right now that I that happened last night. So I was I was someplace. I was in Bloomingdale's. I was shopping, and uh, I was in the men's section, the underwear section. Yeah. And I want to do a bit on that. I don't have a bit yet, but right. uh, uh, in it said moisture wicking yeah. underpants. Sure. And I'm not really sure what moisture wicking is, <laughs> yeah. but I was lying in bed last yeah, night. I thought sure. there's a whole bit about moisture wicking. And moisture wicking is that it, it repels or it absorbs the yeah. uh, the moisture. Yeah. Right? And right. I don't know if the that's- gym clothes. But right. underpants. Yeah. But I, 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 my thought is if I should be unlucky enough to moisten my underpants, yeah. I want them. I don't want them wicked. I want them oh. gone. I don't want wicking. I don't like. I wet my underpants, but they're wicking right now, and now I'm dry and I'm gone. So th- 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 that's the premise of what I was working on, right? Right. So I used to, when I was a younger fella, have a pen and a pad beside the bed, and now do, I yeah. don't. No? no, 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 no. I have an iPad. Right. So on my on my or on, on my iPhone, I have the notes section, yeah, notes, and I'll yeah. just type the notes in. Yeah, I didn't have my phone with me. Waking I had my, moisture balls. Right. Yeah. So I had I had my iPad. Mm-hmm. My iPad, for whatever reason, doesn't have my notepad on it. Yeah. So I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll just this is like two in the morning last yeah. night. I'll email this to myself. Right. Sure. So I put down my underpants are all wet. I need to take them off. I don't want them wicked. I don't I don't know what I wrote. Right. I don't want them I don't want them uh wicked. I want them off. I want my underpants off yeah. when they're wet. <laughs> and I emailed it to myself. I thought. And if you look at my phone today, I don't have that email. Yeah. It went on a group email to everybody I work with that has nothing to do with stand-up comedy. So all they got at three in the morning from Howie Mandel is my underpants are wet. I want them off, not wicked. And people have been emailing me all morning long okay? going, what the fuck? Are you Are you okay? So writing is a little, is a, you know, and technology. It made not, it more complicated. You got to put the pad back. But this is the thing. Yeah. So I realized, and this is how I'll use this. Yeah. So that'll become part of how I wrote that bit. Right. I'll do that bit. Yeah. And then I'll talk about how I wrote it. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll read some of the responses of the people who have been go. emailing me back. Look at that. Look gr- at that. It's a gift. Your old manness is a gift. <laughs> Look at you, glass half full. I never thought that you would be the guy with the glass half full comments. When no, I first, it's great. Uh, it's a great story. It is. It's so funny. But when did? How did you get from Canada to the store? I was a salesman, and ultimately, that's what the I was. Carpet do- place. Every yeah, but whatever I could get my hands on, and I had. I was had, your sale when you were selling things? Were you like, wait, wait, wait? Well, I didn't know colors. I, I also didn't realize that I would try to fuck around. I still like doing that. And yeah. I would bring people, my wife, who is now, she would tell you yeah. stories. I'd bring her, because it'd be shop at home services too. You what? Shop at home services yeah. so that people would be interested in carpet. And I always thought it was funny to be, I love awkward. I love uncomfortable. Yeah. So like I would go. Because you are that. Yes. I'm I not make everybody that way. Join me. Yeah. 
so <laughs> like I would lie, the family would be sitting there and I'd measure the house yeah. and then I would lie, at, I would sit them all on the couch and I would lie at their feet and I would take off my shirt and I'd be topless <laughs> and then I would have like a pen and I would draw the living room, dining room and three bedrooms on my chest and stomach. Come on. I did. Yeah. And But really seriously. Yeah, and it would be really quiet and you'd see the husband and wife looking at each other. They would tell the kids, go in the other room, we're talking to the carpet man. And, uh, on his and I'd go, you want... <laughs> So you want the shag carpet. Do you want the plush in the living room? This is the living room, right? And they yeah. go, no, that's the bedroom. That Wait, is this the bedroom? And I'd get it so that they got so comfortable where their fingers were on my chest and my tummy going, no, 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 no. This is the hallway. <laughs> this is So the hallway, does the hallway go from my belly button up to my areola? And they go, no, that's not, that, that would be the landing to the stairs. This is where we want the plush carpet. We want the shag in this room. Just put your finger on the room you want the shag on your wife can do that and you're letting them that, touch you yeah, well that's not my hands so oh, the right. people there's a whole family like just pointing at my chest or i'd go into a house and i just thought it was hysterical just to yeah, but that says more about canadians than anything else like they're like all right this is the way this guy does this and we're sorry nice. yeah. sorry we can be polite about sorry it. do you want paper <laughs> sorry or i'd have like a six inch ruler and happened, I, if you did that in America, they'd be like, get out of the house. Oh, you have no idea. Get out of the house. I had so many people chasing me and ang anger for me. You know how comedians say there's this old saying, if I could just make one person laugh. Yeah. I, I loved making people angry and uncomfortable. Hey, look. And I still do. Attention's attention. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I didn't like, know what it was, but it was just so funny to me. There's when nothing some... more focused than angry attention. Like, you know, when you get somebody to laugh, that's one thing. But if someone's going to, fuck you. No, fuck you. You're like, wow, he's really focused on me. You're right. <laughs> but I would walk into a into a, into yeah. a bathroom and there'd be a guy at a urinal. And uh -huh. it was just funny for me to like just tap him on the Come shoulder. On. I did. I did just, excuse me, are you going to be much longer? <laughs> because there's one right here. I go, but I... Um, this that. one oh always How'd and you? it was just like they don't know whether to get mad or am i is there something wrong with me or you know and i love those kind of answers of like can you just wait one minute see what alan funt did to you oh all the time but that's that's always funnier than anything whenever you never got hit i got chased a lot yeah. i did get i got i was a good runner yeah i and i had to be but i always loved just Fucking with people. I love that. You know why? Because that's probably the when people say what makes you laugh or who makes you laugh. Yeah, real people always make me laugh. Don't like jokes. Hate jokes. Really? Yeah, you know, I really you can do. appreciate a good joke. though, no. I understand it, but I I can't. Uh, um, you know, I talk about authenticity. Yeah. If you tell me two guys walked into a bar. Yeah. You know, uh, well, they didn't, you know, and I wasn't there and you weren't there and okay, something weird happens, but it didn't really happen. But, but when you get to the, like, if, when you get to the comedy store and you're immersed in it to process it, like, let's go back to that. How'd you get there? You're, you're working. Oh, you got so jobs. I, 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 I got this great thing. I was going to make a million dollars, uh, in 78. I got the rights in Canada yeah. to the uncle Sherman flasher doll and the uncle Sherman flasher doll was a doll like a stuffed doll and when you opened his coat his yeah. dick his dick came out <laughs> yeah i remember it rose up uh, that's did... that's a better that's later you're, oh. you're younger than me this oh, okay. is before it, before not, the rising it was just fabric it yeah, was yeah. just it was, there was nothing <laughs> there was nothing technical about it anyway i was going to sell this yeah. all over canada oh yeah big hit so, so they shipped it it got stopped at the border as pornographic 
stuff. So brilliant thought I had. I shipped it all back and I had them detach the penises and testicles from the dolls. We shipped the dolls up and then they shipped the penises separately. Yeah. The penises got stopped at the border. Yeah. And I couldn't. Box of penises. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So I had to come down to California where the manufacturer was or the agent was. I'm going to do business here. I came down here to L.A. to do business. I stayed at the Hyatt on Sunset. To do business to, to, to try to get the dicks released. Dicks released. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I knew uh, Mike Binder because Mike Binder had played at Yuck Yucks. Yeah. He said, I can get you on at the comedy store. So I didn't aspire to, you know, I, I just. But had you been doing it? You know, I had gone on. Yes, is the answer. The short answer is yes. And but with no thought of this possibly being a career. Right. No aspirations of making, you know, I was so excited that I found this thing, but it was like my my Thursday night poker game. Sure. You had bigger it, plans. You're selling uh, dick dolls. Right, <laughs> right. But what are the chances of some guy in Toronto yeah. uh, from, uh, you know, from Detroit, uh, yeah, is going to go to California and I'm going to make a living? And oh, I, I knew yeah, I had yeah. nothing. There's no way. Yeah, there yeah. is no way. But it was fun. On thir- there was a lot of like minded people at Yuck Yuck. So it was a fun club, you sure. know, like no, some yeah, people absolutely. go to the Y and play one on one. Some no, people go I play agree. poker. Some people go to a disco three times a week and dance. I still think of it that way, even as a professional comic. I like going to the club to see the fellas. And, me, yeah. me too. Yeah. So that was it. So I told Binder, because he was, uh, I was 3,000 miles away from home. He says, I can get you on at the comedy store. It's Monday night. Let me get you on. Yeah. And I'll tell him it's your good. So I went on at the comedy store. And there was this guy in the audience, George Foster. And George Foster had a comedy game show called Make Me Laugh. I did not know about it because it didn't air in Canada. Bobby Van was the host. Yeah. And I walked off the stage and after doing a three-minute set, he goes, you you ever done television? I go, no. He goes, you want to do TV? I thought, this is so fucking LA. Yeah. 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 I want to do TV. Yeah. Yeah. He said, come to my office. You did the the glove bit. I did the glove and okay, okay. All right. All right. And- um, (laughs) He had me meet him at KTLA, which is the first studio. I, it's on Sunset Boulevard. It was the first time I've ever been in a TV studio or sound. I went to his office, and he goes, "You know, we're doing this." Is that still there? It's not even there anymore. It's KTLA like is. It but, is. I mean, what's I, I don't know that it's right it's by called. the highway, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that tower is still there. I'll yeah. never forget it. It's the first time my uh, entree into broadcast television. Yeah. So um, I go into his office, and he has me try to make the uh, the secretary laugh he goes that's very good are you here tomorrow i go yeah i guess some comic dropped out yeah. so Bruce baby man bomb had something y- to do that day yeah but it was it, yeah. was it was i did it with mike binder and gallagher everybody and gary did it. shandling everybody yeah. did it everybody but i didn't know what it was yeah so i went on and i did it you do five shows in one day they pay you you know two three hundred dollars a show so in one day at five shows i made a thousand dollars in one day acting like an idiot it's the first time i got any money <laughs> and they and the, i said i'm not from here he got me a permit a temporary permit to to uh work here and then i went back to canada and back to work and at what happened with the box of dicks never got them through dropped that <laughs> got uh these uh then got into this business with toothbrushes and flosses uh-huh. that with a floss on the same it was, i was always like trying to wheel and deal and working an angle uh, working it, but that was fun for me too yeah but um i started getting calls and i got a call from the mike douglas show oh yeah and the mike douglas show said would you like to come down and do it i went and did the mike douglas show and then i flew back home and then i did then i got a call from the merv griffin show and every time you come are you working at the store yeah a little bit but then i would get 
$600, you know? They said, when I got, uh, make me laugh, he said, have your agent call. I didn't want to say I don't have an agent. So I called Yuck Yucks, and the manager of Yuck Yucks was this guy, David, who has since, uh, you know, uh, it didn't end well with David. David wasn't really a, a comedy manager. Yeah. And, but I said, say you're my manager. Yeah. So uh, David said he was my manager, and he made the deal, got me scale. And I didn't even know, I was so far out of show business, I didn't even know about 10% or 15%. Right, sure. So uh, David took a third. Yeah. He said, I'll take a third, you get two thirds. Yeah. So of $200 or $300, mm-hmm. I, I made 200 and he got 100 it, Ultimately, it ends up that way between the lawyer, the agent, the manager. But this is one guy. Yeah, I still I needed a manager and an <laughs> agent. And, <laughs> you know, David's also the guy that said I, and then I did Merv Griffin. Gene Simmons saw me on Mer Griffin of Kiss fame. Yeah. And he said, my girlfriend's playing in, in Vegas. We, we were watching you in bed last night. Will you open up for her? And I said, okay. His girlfriend happened to be, he was living- With Cher? No. Uh, Diana Ross. What? Yes. Huh. Yeah. So I became Diana Ross's opening act. I didn't know that Gene Simmons and Diana Ross. Were- Absolutely. Huh. And he gave me my job. And now I'm in Vegas doing that. And then uh, David essentially says, I managed Howie Mandel and I got him out and then brought his next kid out, which yeah. was Jim Carrey. Uh-huh. You know, we have since both uh, moved on from David. He's still around, though. Uh, semi. Yeah. So what was your relationship with Mitzi Shore over there? When- she was really supportive of me, you know, so th- she saw that I got uh, Make Me Laugh. I had a lot of, it was hell for me at the comedy store because I came out once got make me laugh i said to my wife and then the merv griffin show i went out and got 300 dollars, yeah. and then uh, i got 300 dollars, and then i i went and worked at at caesar's which was hell right they opening for diana ross they didn't like me and i didn't have an but act that was like what it was a 15 minute spot 20 minutes yeah 20 minutes yeah i tell that story too like at 20 minutes they, they, they i went there and they said uh you're doing 20 minutes tonight i go okay and they go, you understand what I'm saying? And I said, I don't, I don't understand the part where you're saying you understand what I'm saying. You just spoke English to me. So I, <laughs> they go, not 15, not 22, 20 minutes. We have it perfectly timed. She hits the stage right at a certain time. You'll work in front of the curtain. As soon as you're finished, the curtain goes up. It's her. She does a set piece. And it was really important and imperative for us to get that audience back out into the casino to spend money so you can't go five minutes over and you can't go five minutes under because she walks out right on this is like a a timed piece of uh, business yeah so i said oh shit because now i do but i didn't i didn't wear a watch yeah so i gave the guy 20 bucks and i said listen when i hit um 18 yeah when i hit 18 minutes tap on the curtain behind me on the floor just Hit the, hit the floor behind me, and then I'll wrap it up. And I know the two minutes, it takes me two minutes to put the glove on the head, yeah. and I'll blow it up, and that'll be it. I yeah. need, just need two minutes at the end. Anyway, the lights go down at Caesar's Palace. The crowd roars, and it says, Caesar's Palace is proud to present an evening with Diana Ross. Yeah. And the crowd just goes crazy. And if you listened really closely, but first, Howie Mandel, but nobody heard that. Yeah. you know. And then I wandered out in front of the curtain, and uh, just Ugh. to, uh, yeah, that was the sound that the audience made, the sound that you just made. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. What is this? You know, and who the fuck are you? And just the most disdained bitch face looks from everybody. Yeah. Like, we got to we didn't pay for this. Yeah. We don't want this. We have no interest in this. 
And I started, okay, 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 what? And I'm doing what, what to nothing, to yeah. silence, oh, okay. to silence. Yeah. What? Why are you all so quiet? Yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. Silence is golden and this yeah. is golden. Yeah. And and like nothing. And I have pictures of me from that those performances. I wore like a sports jacket yeah. at Caesar's Palace. Yeah. You can see the sweat through uh, the sports jacket. Flop sweat. Then finally, after what seemed like an eternity, I hear bang. And, and I go... Um, all right, everybody, and I take out the rubber glove and I blow up the rubber glove, and now I got the glove inflated on my head, and I, I've never, such silence, and I think maybe this is a, a thicker latex. Yeah. They're probably roaring. Everybody's yeah. like, but it's one thing to say something and get nothing back. Yeah. It's another thing to be standing in front of 1,500 people with a rubber glove inflated on your on head. Your head. Alone, like I mean, like nobody is laughing. Everybody is just wants to shit on you. Everybody is just like it's just horrible. Yeah, it just so it pops off my head to silence, and then I go, "Well, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy Miss Diana Ross." Mm -hmm. And the crowd goes nuts, and I turn around and I try to get through the curtain, and somebody on the on the other side is holding it. They're not paging it for me. They're holding it closed, and I go, "Let me out! Let me out!" Now the the the. <laughs> the crowd dies down and I'm just turning back kind of I just want to fucking escape it's like a horrible bad escape room and I go let me out and I hear the guy on the other side going another five minutes I go what he goes five more minutes and I turn around they can't hear it. and I turn around and I go so uh, <clears throat> and I had because I was dying I didn't have any more I didn't have any material to begin with and it was just five minutes of hell oh my God. and uh, what I learned was it wasn't two minutes till the end of my act what I heard is that banging which is somebody walking by because the orchestra was setting yeah. up and that wasn't the signal. Yeah. I finished early because I had been working fast. And then I went on the next night. And every night it was silent, but I heard one female laughter. And all it was was Diana Ross. She used to watch me from the side, and she loved me alone. <laughs> and after three weeks of this hell, they go, Miss Ross would like to see you in her dressing room. And I go, oh, my God, thank God. Just, just fire, me. fire me, please. Just cut off my <laughs> yeah. nuts. Yeah. Just cut off my... Kill me. Release. Shoot me. Yeah, yeah. Just release me. And I walk in. She goes... Dear, you're one of the funniest guys I ever saw. I just want you to stay on for. <laughs> I was so fucking. It was horrible. Did it get better? Never. Not on that. It's game. like that that Albert Brooks bit. You know the bit where like he opened for Richie Havens. And yes. The crowd, Richie, Richie, and the guy that the stagehands like, are you is your name Richie? He's like, nope. They're they're gonna hate you. <laughs> 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 I know it's. I've had all those horrible. Well, that was the, was the weird thing about the '70s before the club franchises opened is a lot of guys were doing those opening bits for musical acts, and it's never good. I never hear great stories about. Oh that. no! I opened up for Earth, Wind, and Fire on the Pyramid Tour. Just death. The night, the week before, do you remember? I think it was in Chicago. Somebody got trampled when they opened the door at a Who concert. Oh or yeah, something. twelve people. I yeah, think yeah, 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 yeah. So. The Earth, Wind, and Fire was doing their pyramid tour, which was on fire, and it, they came to Toronto to Maple Leaf Gardens. Yeah, and they and the promoter that day calls me. I happen to be in Toronto. He knew I was in Toronto. That's yeah. my hometown, and he said, "I need you to open." I go, "What do you mean?" They go, "Well, Earth, Wind, and Fire has a lot of magic in their act." They had Doug Henning. Remember Doug Henning? Yeah. Doug Henning uh, did all their pyro and yeah. all that. They would disappear at places on stage. He goes we think that we're going to have to open the doors a little bit late. We don't want to, we're, we're a week within these people that got trampled. We want to let the audience in. What we're going to do, what we decided to do is we'll turn the lights down and we'll continue to set the stage and we'll give you a signal, but maybe 15 minutes, we'll give you a signal 
and then the you can introduce the band. And this is my hometown. Yeah, twenty thousand people. Anyway, I go. The lights go down. The crowd goes crazy because they think it's Earth, Wind, yeah. and Fire. They go, ladies and gentlemen, hometown boy, Howie Mandel. But they don't really know me yet, right. you know. So I walk out, and eh, there's a couple of giggles, and then I start to get dirty because I was trying to get a laugh, you yeah. know. And I'm using the F word, and I'm uh-huh. using, and now they're. I got them within five minutes. They're rolling, and yeah. they're, you know, and I'm talking about how I went. You know, I I don't know what what the material was, but then. All of a sudden, I I lose them. They they just stop, and I'm talking to the audience, and and it they stop, and then I look to the left in my periphery, and a guy's going like he's giving me the cut sign, cut, cut, yeah, cut, yeah, and I'm going what? Now I didn't know this because I could hear myself through the monitors. Yeah. They cut my sound in the room because I swore but I didn't know that so they just stopped hearing me the guy from the side said come here so I said enjoy earth wind and fire but nobody heard me because it wasn't on the mic he says come with me come with me come with me so I follow him he takes me into a dressing room he closes the door behind me and I hear a lock he locks me in a room now I'm locked in a room and I could hear an announcement being made and it said um, Ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention, please? Due to the, um, I can't remember what the word he used, but d- due to the material, the ill-planned material of our opening act, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire will not be taking the stage for another 20 minutes as to separate themselves from wow. this. They had nothing to do. And the crowd is like, this is my home fucking town. And I'm locked in a room they won't let me out. They made an announcement. They humiliated me. Not only did I do bad, and what the fuck was that about? I don't know. I finally they let me out once the band started, and I ran home, and I was so humiliated. I gotta tell you, between the Diana Ross opening act, and uh, I, I'm amazed that I'm sitting here talking to you today because they were incredibly humiliating, devastating, horrible moments in comedy. But the we worst. have to live those. I know. I got sent home from Australia. You got sent home. Yeah. <laughs> tell me what. <laughs> I just went out there like, you know, I, I took the job to close the show for a month and I knew that I didn't have the material. Like I only had like 40 minutes, but the guy booked me. And I'm like, I'll go to Australia, but I hated being away. I was, I, I was, and I, you know, I was struggling the whole first week, which is a week of previews. And then the, finally the opening night happens and it, and in Australia, it's a different setup. There's an intermission. They, they had a burlesque act. They had a guy. They had a comic hosting, and then a and then two women with an accordion act. And then there was the the next act was a guy who escaped from a straitjacket on a unicycle. And then there's an intermission, and then they bring me out, and it's the first night, and it's packed, and all I could hear was the embers of my cigarette light burning. Like oh. I, it was just the that just a silent a bomb. Like you wouldn't believe it. Like I get out there, and some guy in the in the audience said. American goes where'd you get that jacket and I just had nothing and I just fell into myself and I felt myself leave my body and I just tanked for like 50 minutes just tanked and afterwards the guy sits me down the next day he's like I don't think this is working out and in my mind I'm like oh thank god and uh and he goes I'll pay you for you know two weeks and I'll just send you home and and I'm like okay and I'm like really it was just starting but in my heart I was like thank god yeah and they sent me home yeah nobody knows that kind of oh, God, mental man. death like a comic. And well, because you can't leave. You know, you got to do the job, even if you're not doing the job. Well, you know, and also being in Vegas with Diana Ross, I've never done a cruise, but I would imagine- Oh, my uh, God. I would never do that. 
You bomb and then you see everybody for a week? Well, that's the point. So I was in my room all the time because the first night I went home for breakfast and there was the audience and the, the, such disdain and hate. I don't want to see the audience. But that's, what, what about pity? That's that's the worst when they're like, no, hey, how you need you? you try, yeah, you I know. I know. But I think like what a lot of people don't realize about your career is that you like really were one of the first guys to be cast in a serious role on St. Elsewhere and pull it off. That was an accident. But you, do you know that though? Like, yeah. I don't know if you get recognition for that. I imagine you Not do. Not anymore, because... but, but, but you know, that's 30 years ago. But yes, y- yeah, and I- Because uh, you were the guy with the fucking rubber glove and you were known at that point. And you, you know were... that they, they threatened to fire me, MTM. Which is the production company, Mary, Mary Tyler, Tyler Moore. Moore. They, well, not herself, right. but they, at the time in the '80s, this was a big dramatic show that in Hill Street Blues, and it was critically acclaimed. And then I started getting even more shots on uh, the Tonight Show, and they, and with the glove and the what, 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 and they said, you know, the idea is we are very serious writers. This is a dramatic show. I mean, I I had some comic relief in it, but you are ruining the integrity of your character by doing your stand-up act. Yeah, because I can't tell you how many times my until I did Deal or No Deal, which brought all my audiences together. At the time, that was like what? That was recently. That's the biggest. I was about to leave the business in 2005. I, I was over. It was finished. But when I was doing uh, Saint Elsewhere, yeah. I got letters every week. I have a bet with my husband that Fiscus, which was the name of the character that I was playing, is not the same guy that idiot that puts the rubber glove yeah. on his head. People didn't know that. And yeah. even when I got Bobby's World, when I did, started doing Bobby's World, they would say. The, uh, the guy that does the voice for Bobby's World and plays Howard is yeah. that the same guy that's on Saint uh, on Saint Elsewhere? Right. Is that the same guy that does stand up? No one knew. These were all, I had very segregated audiences right. as far as you know whether you were a young mother sitting at home watching cartoons with your kid, whether you were the HBO. You know, my first young comedian special kind of launched me. That's the biggest launch I had. And on my young comedian special was the sixth annual. It was me, Jerry Seinfeld, Richard Lewis, Harry Anderson, and Maureen Murphy, and it was hosted by the Smothers Brothers. But why was uh, MTM going to push you out? Because I was doing all this silliness. They how, said did you, they how did you negotiate out of that? I how- didn't. I said, then fire me. They didn't. Yeah. They threatened to. I wasn't making that much money on St. Elsewhere. I said, I can't afford, right. you know, I'll, uh, at the time, it was 1982 or 1983. Uh, it's Maybe it sounds, it, it's okay money, but not great money. Yeah. I, I'll be honest with you. They were paying me something like $2,500 an episode. Wow. With a guarantee of 20 episodes. So, you know, I had- For six for, years. Just for that year, yeah. right? So I had forty thousand dollars for, which is a lot of money. But I had an agent, I had a manager. After taxes and paying everything, I was left with maybe ten thousand dollars a year. Right, and I couldn't afford that. I was making big money off a of stand-up. So after all that, I mean, but you like uh, you know, looking at your resume, I mean, you always worked. You did movies. You did bit parts. You did animation. I didn't realize you were the 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 voice of uh, of the main gremlin. Yeah, Gizmo. Yeah, you were you were Gizmo. Yeah, that like that has a lot of impact on people. Yeah, but and and it's, again, people don't know it's me. Yeah, you know. So I did all these things where people didn't know it was me. And it wasn't until two thousand and ten, two thousand and five, I got offered. I was ready to leave the business. And, and what that's were you going to do? Just real estate? 
I did real estate and other things too. Yeah. You know, I did real estate. I still and to no, this but day, I mean, when, when you thought about leaving the business after the career you had, it was just a pain in the ass. So, well, the the career I had is the key word is had. You know, uh, in two thousand and five, ticket sales were way down for any live performance. Right. Um, I was auditioning for parts. You know, I had done a series in elsewhere, and but now I was auditioning. Right, for you were five part lines. of the, that crew of '80s comics that had had their arc. Yes. and now it was just sort of like, are you sad? Yes, you know, like you know, oh, that's that's the guy who used to do the thing. Yeah, that, you were that guy. I was. Yeah. So I thought, like, I just don't need this. You know, not that I, ego is a big problem for me, but it's just I'm putting myself. I don't need it. Yeah, and I'm not loving it. And uh, I'm not getting the audience. I said, like, whatever I do, whether it was just real estate, I could drop in on the comedy store if I ever have it. I I don't need to make this a living. So I was about to leave the business. And I get this bizarre call from Michael saying NBC called and they're doing a game show and they want you to host. And I said, no, no. And I don't know if you remember in in 2005, but in 2005, no comedian. You know, the last time comedians hosted a game show, and it was good, but it's decades before, was Groucho Marx or even Johnny Carson. Right. But no comedian had done that. And they go, this is going to be big. It's going to be, NBC's giving five nights to it. And I went, no. There's I remember no, this. I remember this. There's no fucking way. You yeah. know, the, It was an the, integrity thing. Integrity. And also when your currency is irony, yeah. the punchline was you know pat sajak nothing against pat sajak but right. you know sure making fun of the game show it host a, it was a sellout thing right yeah so i said i'm leaving and this is not what i want to be remembered for i don't want to be bob barker and, and then what did michael say uh, he said uh, so so it's I a hung million up, dollars uh, an episode hold so, on i'll put uh, mr mandela no on the no phone. no so i hung up the phone and then they called back and they said no they have to have you they want they would just want to explain it to you can they? Can you hear the concept for the show? And I go, no, it's a game show. It's a game fucking show. <laughs> Goodbye. Love, it's so good that you and Michael have known each other since we were kids because you wouldn't have done it. If no, hadn't. no, it wasn't Michael. So it's, Michael oh, it calls Michael. back and says, the guy says he can't do it without you. Wherever you are, you don't have to come to them. Wherever you are, he just wants to show you this. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm at Jerry's Deli yeah. in the Valley. I yeah. was. I said, I'm having soup. If he can get here before I finish the soup, he can come show me his stupid little game. So Rob Smith shows up. This is a Friday. Rob Smith shows yeah. up at a Moose My Soup and he's got a card. I have it in my office. He's got a card. It looks like a, you know, not a talented young child made a, an art piece. It's a bad, he didn't go to Kinko's. It looks yeah. like he cut it himself. None of the lines are straight. Yeah. There's 26 little squares. He said, pick one of the numbers. Yeah. Now he's playing with me and I, I pick a number. Now pick five more. We'll try not to get your number. We'll try not... It's not a good, I go, well, is there any trivia? No. Is there any skill? No. And I go, and how long, you, NBC's <laughs> going to do this for, he goes, it's huge all over the world. We have to have you. And we won't do it without you. I go, well, <laughs> I'm going to go home. So I left, I went home, and my wife says to me, are you going to take it? And I said, no. And she goes, why? And she said, and, and I said, because I think it's the nail in the coffin of my career. I don't want to do it. She goes, uh, where are you right this second? I go, I'm standing in the kitchen talking to you. Where were you a half hour ago? I go at the deli by myself having soup. She goes, that is your career. Just do the fucking, just say yes. So I listened to her. I phoned them back and I said, I'll do it. And they said, yes, it had to be you. And I said, uh, when does it tape? They said, Monday. I go, well, don't you have to build a set? They go, it's built. I go, don't you need 26 models? They go, 
their cast. So how fucking far down the list was I? <laughs> how many people had said no? And out of desperation, they got Howie Mandel to do this show. And it was the most, and, and then I thought I hired a lot of people that you know. I said, okay, I was panicked. I go now. To write? A, to write. I yeah. said, okay. So I looked at tapes of Groucho Marx. I yeah. said, maybe because there's nothing, it's just opening up cases. Maybe yeah. I can be like witty and yeah. I can come up with things. So I sat for the whole weekend with some friends and we wrote stuff and I had some stuff and I thought, when am I going to get an opportunity to do primetime NBC five nights a week? If nothing else, the game is going to fall apart. Right. But I'm going to be funny. Yeah. And people are going to see Howie Mandel again. Make and maybe I'll own. start sell tickets yeah. and I'll make it my own. I walk out. They go, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel, deal or no deal. I walk out and it's the first show. I see the first contestant. It's Karen Van. I'll never forget her name. And I go, Karen, tell me about yourself. And I'm sitting like I'm talking yeah. to you. And she tells me she has three kids. She doesn't have a job. She's never owned a home. They don't have health insurance. The three kids are sitting right there. And you could see you've been on the set with people who aren't familiar with being on a set there's yeah. a glaze that goes over yeah, people yeah. who don't you know that it's all the lights and the cameras and the audience and this is not their world and it's a fantasy yeah. and it's not real and i could tell that she wasn't really focused so i changed uh, and then i realized i saw these three kids there so when i gave the first offer i said the first offer and i like i'm talking to a five-year-old i went is twenty thousand dollars knowing that she's not from new york or la twenty thousand dollars will change her fucking life. Yeah. That's a down payment on a home. It's health insurance. These kids would be safe. And I could see that she, no deal, without even thinking, no deal. And I I just want to, now I got afraid. I go, she's not listening. <laughs> and I said, I don't want to be responsible. I, I would love to be entertaining right now. And I would love to do some silly shtick. Yeah. But that's going to pull her focus. I don't want to be responsible for these kids' future. I just want to, uh, uh, my whole being was thrust in, I became empathetic yeah. and was just to make you, you, Karen Van, yeah. make the right decision, right. which I, I wasn't able to do, but it just became about my cadence. You didn't uh, make her, you couldn't do it? You weren't able she to? Did, she left with five grand and with that five grand, she got her breast done. But anyway, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the truth. But the point is, I kept saying, now the offer is, 120 I was so embarrassed that I did nothing when we taped the shows I flew with my wife way out to the Caribbean someplace where I knew that uh, at a resort that they didn't have a TV I was ready to be humiliated on the what I believed was probably the worst thing I've ever done in my career <laughs> yeah and then I got a call on that Monday night and they go this game went through the roof and I go what game <laughs> deal or no deal really next night higher next night higher and I flew back and I landed in Miami and within a second the first person that made eye contact with me went, deal or no deal? <laughs> yeah. And here I am, you know, in 2019, and it's blowing up on CNBC now still. It's the biggest thing I've ever done. You know, I still do deal or no deal. Wednesday nights. Yeah. This nine is a new season, right? Brand new season. Uh, bigger and better than ever. But I'm just saying it's the, the thing I didn't want to do. The only thing I've ever said no to. Because I usually just say yes to yeah, everything, right? And it brought me my career back, and it it. Uh, and how do you frame it in your mind now? Like, do you like? Do you feel? Do you like doing it? I love doing it because it is pure. It's kind of the same thing I like about comedy. It's yeah. it's real in the moment, and and skinning back all of humanity and relatability. And it's probably one of the most visceral. You know, it takes every 
power, any, every muscle I have to not scream at these people, like the people who are watching it on television going, take the deal. I don't yeah. know if you saw the first episode aired on NBC. It was like a Christmas episode. It was a young guy with a, he has a new baby and the, there's two cases left. One has $750,000. One has $5 in it. They're offering $350,000. There's a new twist now in the new game where yeah. you can, you can counter offer. Yeah. So he could have said a half a million dollars and I'll go. He goes, no, I know I have it. No deal. And he walked out of there with $5. Oh, my God. I know. And he's got a baby and a <laughs> wife, and it's, it just kills me. But it's it's a great study in humanity. It's, it's, it, you make me feel like you're doing something noble. I, I'm, that's what I'm good at, making you feel I'm doing something <laughs> noble without actually doing something noble. I'm taking a paycheck, and I'm hosting a game show, and I do some comedy, and you can see it on Showtime, and AGT, I'm watching a talent show, doing what I was doing in my underpants for free at home. They give me a check and oh, give me you, pants you in. Oh, you got away with it. I, that's how I feel every single day. <laughs> Everything I do, I feel like I got away. I say to my wife every day, can you believe this yeah. fucking, I can't believe, everything I've ever been punished for, expelled for, hit for, is what I see seem to get paid for today well congratulations thank you it's great talking to you great talking to you buddy that was howie howie mandel the full story well a lot of it anyways a deal or no deal is back wednesday nights on cnbc his new stand-up special howie mandel presents howie mandel at the howie mandel comedy club premieres friday night january 18th on showtime all right i'll do a i'll do a thing a riff I've got to be repeating my riffs by now. That's all right. I didn't have this echo box. I did not have it. So that's different. Boomer Lee.